scripture before this morning's message will be taken from Romans 6th chapter, verses 15 through 18. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present your bo- yourselves as anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But, but thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's great to see you this morning. We have a number of visitors with us and we're really thankful that you've come to be our way to come worship with us. Uh, We have a lot of folks out of town as well this weekend for a lot of uh, family events and other things and um, know it's a holiday weekend, but we're thankful that you're here with us this morning. Um, A couple of weeks ago, we began a series of studies and today's going to conclude that dealing with being right with God. All the lessons have been from the book of Romans. And what we're doing metaphorically is, if you ever take your car and just, you know, pop the hood and look at the engine, maybe you know what you're looking at, maybe you don't, but most everything under the hood in your car is important. It's important to the function of the car and it's it's essential to some component or other working. But what we're doing is we're taking the lid off the engine itself and looking inside the engine. What is it that God is doing when he saves us? How is it that the blood of Jesus that was shed 2,000 years ago on a cross in a different part of the world, how is it that that blood can be part of my life and your life? And how is it that that blood changes us and makes us holy and righteous in God's sight? And so, as we've looked at Romans chapters 1 and 2 and also 4 and 5 in the last couple of weeks, today we're going to deal with Romans 6 this morning and Romans 3 this evening. What does it mean to be a child of God? And what does it mean to be right with God? If you got your Bible, go ahead and open it to Romans 6 and you can just leave it open to that passage. That's where our lesson is going to come from this morning. And I want us to deal with this particular question. Let's talk about the logic of these chapters that we've looked at, Romans 1 through 6. Because there's a question and the question is, why can't I, if the grace of God saves me, if the blood of Jesus covers my sin, why can't I just sin as much as I want? Why does being a Christian mean that I need to live a different life? And that's an important question when you think about the logic of Romans 1 through 6, because listen to what's been said so far in this book. It says in Romans 3.23 that all sin and fall short of God's glory. None of us is righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 verse 10. And God justifies us not by our works, not by keeping his law perfectly, but rather by putting our faith and our trust and our obedience in Jesus Christ. That's how God saves us. He justifies us. He gives us access to his grace by faith, Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. So if God justifies us by faith, and as you read Romans 5 continuing, it says that God's grace is greater than all our sin. There is nothing that people do that cannot be forgiven by God if we so desire. If we'll come to Jesus and we'll come to the cross and we will confess our sin, we will put our trust in him and be baptized for the remission of our sins, there is no sin that God will not forgive. 
His grace is greater than all our sin, Romans 5, 20 and 21. And so the question that we're dealing with this morning is this, why not sin more so that God's grace will abound more? And if you're looking at Romans chapter six, verse one, that's the exact question that's asked. If we're saved by the grace of God and if God's grace is free and it's unearned, it's undeserved, God gives it to you when you put your trust in Jesus and what he did at the cross. If that all happens, then why not just continue to sin all you want, Paul? And a lot of people in the first century accused the apostle Paul of preaching a libertarian system, they, the, the uh, a libertine system where they could, um, you know, just sin all they wanted and it didn't matter and you can just ask for forgiveness later and don't worry about how you're living your life, just sin, 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 because God's grace is going to take care of everything. Continuing with this thought, as you look at Romans chapter six, verse 15, in Romans 6:15, the passage that was read by Glenn just a moment ago, the question is asked again, are we to sin since we are not under law, but under grace? And what he has in mind is, and you may need to go back and listen to some of the previous lessons to really get the point here. What he has in mind is we are not under a system of law by which we are saved. We're not under a system of works. You remember the graph that I've got on the screen there? That guy on the left-hand side, He is under a system of law. That is, the law points out where he falls short. It tells him what's wrong in his life, but the law cannot do a single thing to save him. The law just says, you didn't keep a perfect 10. You didn't score perfectly on keeping all of God's laws. And that's a system of law. And we're not under that system anymore when we come to Jesus. Rather, when we come to Jesus and we accept what he's done for us at the cross, the cross, the blood of Jesus covers our sin. It makes up the difference and the righteous requirement of God, that that requirement that we must keep a perfect score in order to be righteous in God's sight, that difference is made up by what Jesus did at the cross. That's Christianity. It is saying, I can't save myself by doing a lot of good things. Good things are good, but even if I'm a really good person, if I fall short in even one aspect of God's law, I'm still unrighteous, I'm still a sinner, I'm still lost. And if that's how I go before God on the day of judgment, no matter how good a person I may have been, I'm still condemned, I'm still unrighteous because God in his holiness cannot forgive sin apart from the cross. And so what I must do and what you must do is say, I can't save myself, I need Jesus to save me. And we come to Christ in humble, submissive obedience and we accept the gift that he offers at the cross. Baptism is not a work of salvation. It's not earning anything. It's not trying to keep a perfect score. What baptism is, is accepting what Jesus has done for us at the cross. It's saying, I need Jesus and his blood to save me. The blood of Jesus washes my sins away. And baptism is the moment in which that blood is applied to us. And the question again on the table is this, all right? If that's how God saves us, we've talked about those concepts at length in previous lessons, then why not just go on sinning all you want? Why not just do whatever you want? As you look at Romans chapter six, there are some things that change in us, must change in us, if we put our faith in Jesus. When we decide that we're not gonna be saved under that left system on the screen behind me, but rather under the one on the right, when we decide that we need the cross and we need Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, we need him to be the savior of of our souls, when we decide that, 
and we put our faith in him, faith has some evidence. That is to say, it shows up in the way that we live our lives. There are some decisions we must make. If you want to put your trust in Jesus to save you, there are three things that you need to think about. And those are the three points of our lesson this morning. If you're putting your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins, number one, notice, the Bible teaches in Romans 6 that faith in Christ means that we must die to sin. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at Romans chapter 6, in verse 1, he asks, can we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And then he asks the question in verse 2, how shall we who are dead to sin or who have died to sin, it says in some translations, how shall we continue any longer in it? Stop sinning. You put your faith in Jesus and you died to sin when you did that, is what Paul's arguing. And then in verse five, he says, we died with Christ. We're united with him in the likeness of his death. He's talking about baptism. Baptism is the point at which our faith in Christ is consummated and we become a child of God. That's what Romans six verses three through six is teaching. Baptism is the starting point. And one of the things that happens when someone is baptized is they must in their mind and their heart change. They must say, I am dying to sin. Notice in Romans 6, verse 6, he talks about our old man being crucified with him. The old me died when I was baptized. It was supposed to die. It's a, it's a decision I make. It's a decision you make. When we become Christians, we die to sin. In Romans 6, verse 8, and then Romans 6, verse 11. Notice, it says in verse 11, especially, reckon yourselves, consider yourselves, Christians, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The idea here is that when someone becomes a child of God, when someone becomes a Christian, one of the attitudes that we have about sin must change. The entire attitude that we have about sin must change. And it is a deliberate decision, dying to sin. It's a decision that you and I make. And it says something like this, I'm no longer going to be the person who lives for sin, but rather I'm going to try to live for God from now on. When I put my faith in Jesus, I want him to save me. I want him to be the one that completes me. I want him to be the one that makes me righteous. If that's what I'm doing and I need the blood that he shed at the cross to cleanse me from my sin, I'm no longer gonna live for sin. I don't wanna do that anymore. I'm dying to sin because I want to accept the gift that God has given, that he's offered at the cross. That's the argument that's being made here. It's a deliberate decision. And so, this is what the Bible calls conversion. Conversion. People ought to look at new Christians and say, as they live their lives as new Christians, there's something different about you. You're not the way you used to be. There's something really different. I've noticed that you don't, you don't go out as much with the boys and, and spend time carousing and drinking and things like that. I've noticed you're not doing that anymore. I've noticed the language that you're using has changed. It just feels like something's different in our relationship. People in the world say these kind of things to Christians, to new Christians, because there's been a conversion that has taken place. And it's this death to sin that is the mark of conversion. The fact that I'm not gonna live as a sinner anymore. I don't wanna live that lifestyle anymore. I'm gonna live for God from now on. I have died to sin. That is an essential element of receiving the gift that Jesus has offered at the cross. 
That's what this passage is saying. Again, look at Romans 6, 11 carefully. Look at it in your Bible. Romans 6, 11 says, reckon, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. It's a mindset, it's an attitude. Reckon, consider, think about yourself. And notice he's using present tense there. It's not just something that happens once when I'm baptized. This is something that must continue to happen in my life as a Christian perpetually. I'm gonna die to sin. I do not want sin to be present in my life. I don't even want it to be a possibility. I'm putting it away, I'm dying to it. I'm gonna struggle against it. I do not want sin to be part of my experience. And so if we desire as Christians, if we desire for Jesus' blood to cover us, to, to, to cleanse us, putting our faith in him, accepting that gift means that we die with him. We die to sin, we die to our past deeds, we die to the lifestyle we were living before, and we live a new lifestyle, dead to sin. Secondly, this morning, as you look at Romans chapter six and you continue with this thought, why can't I just go on sinning? It's not just that God says, I need you to stop sinning, Christian. Incidentally, dying to sin, before I leave this point, dying to sin looks different for different people because some people in their lifestyles are living different kinds of sins out in their lives than others. And sometimes the people that we live with, we cannot continue to live with those people because God says you don't have any right to live with this person. You don't have any right to have a relationship like you're having with that particular person. Dying to sin looks different for some people than it does for others. People that, young people that have been raised in the church, you know, we call it quote unquote in the church, young people that have always been taught the Bible, dying to sin for them means that there are habits and there are sins and there are things that they've welcomed into their lives, but they're putting those away. But it looks much different sometimes for someone like that than it does for somebody who's been living a a, a very, very worldly apostate lifestyle. But in both cases, it's still dying to sin. It's still saying in my mind and my heart, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want this to be a part of my life and my experience anymore. And then secondly, as you look at Romans chapter six, notice faith in Christ means that we also must choose to live for God. And this, listen to what I'm about to say, is where many Christians fall short. We emphasize the dying to sin. We emphasize, put sin away. You gotta put it to death. You gotta repent. You gotta turn away. But we don't tell people sometimes and we don't think about it in our own lives, what does God say we're supposed to do now? It's kinda like, it's kinda like a, a, a young child that you tell them, don't, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that. And what does the young child wanna do? All the young child wants to do is touch whatever it is that you're saying not to touch. And if you're a wise parent, you'll redirect the young child. And the redirecting means that you take something that you do want the child to play with. Here's your truck, here's your doll. And you give it to the young child. You put it in their hands and maybe you take them to a different part of the room where their mind and their heart, their eyes are not looking at whatever it is they're not supposed to touch. You redirect them. Here, play with this instead. And what God is doing here is redirecting our lives, brothers and sisters and friends. He's saying, die to sin, but if all you do is die to sin, you just sit there like a bump on a log and there's nothing proactive about my life. There's nothing positive that I'm trying to do with my life. You're gonna, you're gonna feel that compulsion. I, I wanna go back and, and sin in the ways I was living before because at least that was something. God says, it's not just about dying to sin, it's about living for me. And I want you to look at the passage that we're, we're talking about. Jesus models this. 
Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 10. The Bible says, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Jesus died to sin. What, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus was a sinner? Does that mean he's like me and that he had to repent? No. Jesus was infinitely pure. He never sinned, not even once. Hebrews 4.15. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. What does it mean that Jesus died to sin? It means, brothers and sisters and friends, that when Jesus went to the cross, when he stretched out his arms and he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, that sin is no longer a possibility for Jesus. Once he died, he died to sin. The devil can't tempt him anymore. It's done, it's finished. Jesus came and lived a life of suffering and temptation, but he never gave in. And when he died, he died to sin. Romans 6 verse 10 says, sin's not a possibility. And that's what we've got to think about as well with dying to sin. It's not a possibility in my life anymore. But then look at the rest of verse 10. It says, but the life that he lives, talking about right now, he lives to God. Jesus models this, living for God. Everything Jesus ever does is intended to please his Father, to accomplish his will. That's what he prayed in the garden, Matthew 26, 39. Not my will, but yours be done, O God. And what we do when we accept the cross in our lives, when we accept the blood of Jesus in our lives by faith, is we say, I am gonna die to sin, and God, may your will be done in my life from now on. I want to be your servant. I want to be your child. I want to live for you. And so we now say these things to God. Here I am, O God, I want to do your will. Look at Romans 6 verse 12 and read with me. Therefore, Christian, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members, your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but rather present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do you ever see a strike? You know, workers that go on strike. It doesn't happen as frequently today as maybe it did when I was a kid. But I remember as a kid watch, watching on the news and there'd be workers that were striking at this plant or that, that company and they were marching around with their picket signs and things. And every once in a while you'd hear about somebody who crossed the picket line. And it's a big no-no if you're a union person. You, you do not cross picket lines. There's, there's moral implications, people would argue for that. But somebody who crosses the picket line, they leave the strike and they go back to their office and they present themselves to their employer and they say, here I am. I'm here to serve the company. I'm here to go back to work. I want the, the reward that, that labor gets in this particular company. Here I am, I want to do your will. And what we're doing as Christians, brothers and sisters and friends, is we're crossing the picket line from the world and we're coming to God and this happens day after day after day in our lives and we say, God, I've crossed the picket line, here I am. I wanna please you, I wanna do your will. Thank you for waking me up this morning, God. I'm here to do your will. I am your obedient slave. Look at Romans chapter six, verse 16, passage that Glenn was reading in part just a little while ago. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, that word present is there again, to obey, slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked, verse 17, that through uh, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. 
and you have been set free from sin, verse 18, and you have become, verse 18, a slave of righteousness. What we are saying to God is, God, I've crossed the picket line. I want to be your slave. I want to be your servant. I want to live for you. I want to do your will. Every single day, that's what I want to do. This is the other side of accepting the cross. It's not just putting sin away. It's not just repenting of the bad stuff and the evil stuff and the wicked stuff. It's not just putting that away. It's also this aspect of seeing everything I'm doing in my life as somehow can be a service to God. Some of you really need to think about this. Some of you, and I've talked to you, are really frustrated right now in your work environment. There are a lot of things happening in your work environment that are really tearing at your heart and tearing at your soul. And one of the things that a Christian does in a work environment, no matter where we are, is we ask the question, what kind of servant of God can I be in the workplace? Because that's what I'm here for. I've accepted what Jesus has done for me and now I wanna be God's slave, I wanna be God's servant and I wanna be obedient, I wanna please him in my workplace, in my relationships with my coworkers, in the wisdom that I try to give to others about what God's word has to say. I want to be the kind of example that Jesus would be in my workplace. Some of us need to hear this about our homes. You know, we put on a good show for people when we're outside our home and we try to present ourselves as being godly and righteous and having our act together. But really, when we get behind closed doors at home, things are much different. A slave of God is a slave wherever he or she is. And we do God's will wherever we are. We are his obedient slaves and we present ourselves, we cross the picket line to serve him, to do his will behind closed doors in our homes, in our offices, at school, in the workplace, wherever we find ourselves, we are God's obedient slaves. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You need to decide who you're gonna serve, Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve both God and mammon. A lot of people try, but it's a recipe for failure and misery. Serve the Lord. And I wanna add this before I leave this point. Faith in Christ means that we present ourselves as servants of God and we think about it creatively and we think about it in lots of different aspects of our lives. How can I be God's servant today? What does God want me to do for him today? But I wanna make this point before I leave this. Slaves do not earn anything. That's important. The book of Romans and indeed the entire New Testament is telling us you cannot earn your salvation. Jesus paid the price. Jesus shed his blood. All you can do is accept the gift. All you can do is choose for him to be your Lord and to be part of his kingdom, but you cannot earn this. And if you're God's slave, if you're God's obedient servant, you're not earning a thing from God. Everything God gives you and everything God gives me as a Christian is a gift, it's a blessing. He's not giving it to us because we deserve it. Not giving it to us because we're entitled to it. He gives it to us because he is a loving and a kind master. And that's important to keep in mind as we serve the Lord. Because I really believe there are some Christians who think that if they just do enough good stuff that they're gonna be able to earn something with God. It does not work that way, it never has. That is not the gospel. And that will put pressure in your life that God never intended to be there. It is a heavy yoke, it is a heavy burden. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I'll give you salvation. Come to me, learn from me, I'll give you salvation. But these are the conditions. Die to sin and cross that picket line and become my servant every day. Number three, as you look at Romans chapter six, faith in Christ means that we must bear fruit for God because that's what good servants do. Good servants go to work for their master. Good slaves go to work for their owner and good slaves bear fruit. And the owner, the master looks at us and he looks at us as a slave and he says, what fruit have you produced in your life? What is there that you are doing in my service, in my vineyard? Look at the end of the chapter, Romans 6, verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, he says in Romans 6, 20. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, in verse 21, he's saying, look, go back to your old life. What good was there really in the way you were living? What fruit was coming from that? Were you enjoying the things that you produced? Were you enjoying the consequences of your sin? What fruit did you have? And then he says in verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end is everlasting life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, notice it's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is a gift that God gives you and you appropriate and accept that gift by faithful obedience to his commandments, to his will. Die to sin, become his servant, become his slave and bear fruit in his service. That's how we accept what Jesus has done for us at the cross. And it starts with baptism. Romans 6, verses 3 through 6. The question, though, is what fruit are you producing? If you've become a Christian, what is there in your life that gives evidence that you are a New Testament Christian? When I was growing up, I heard sermons about bearing fruit. And almost every sermon I heard had to do with evangelism. Because, I mean, fruit, right? fruit in the vineyard, uh, people, people being brought to Christ and souls being brought to Christ. But as I got older and read more of the Bible, I learned that there are a lot of different kinds of fruit that are born in a disciple's life. Evangelism is one of them, but it's not the only one. Watch this. Romans 6.22 says the fruit of holiness. Holiness means that we put away sin and we serve God. Kind of fits there in Romans 6, doesn't it? Because that's exactly what he's telling us to do. Put away your sin and serve God. The fruit of holiness. Is that fruit evident in your life? Are there sins that you're constantly working on putting away so that you can serve God better? Are there areas of your life where you're thinking creatively about how you can be God's slave, how you can be God's servant in your environment, in your sphere of influence? That's the fruit of holiness. But not only that, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, character qualities, love and joy and peace and patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such there is no law. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. Are those evident in my life? The fruit of good works, Colossians 1 verse 10. You see, when we become Christians, we do good. We're zealous about doing good. We're enthusiastic about doing good. We want to do our best because we are slaves of God. We're not earning anything from him. We want to serve God because God is worthy of service and because God has saved us from our sins and we're not earning anything. We're just doing what good slaves do, good works. It's a mindset. It's the way we think about ourselves. 
Incidentally, read the New Testament. How does almost every New Testament letter begin? Paul, a slave of God. Peter, a slave of God. Jude, a bondservant of God, a slave of God. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, James chapter one. All those, all those guys who wrote New Testament letters by inspiration, they introduced themselves as slaves of God because that's what Christians do. That's how we think. The fruit of good works. The fruit of souls is certainly included in all this, Romans 1.13. He who wins souls is wise, Proverbs 11, verse 30. Evangelism is a part of fruit bearing and trying to speak God's word to people who need to hear it is part of what good slaves do. Jesus said, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, John 15, verse eight. If we put our faith in Christ, we're gonna die to sin, cross the picket line and become servants, servants of God and we're gonna begin to bear fruit for God. And the question you and I have to answer in our lives is, where is the evidence, where is the fruit in our lives? Now, a bunch of you are about to close your Bibles and put your pens up and stuff, don't, okay? I want you to listen to what I'm gonna say because this is important. You need to make sure in your life, based on this lesson and based on many others that could be brought similar, you need to make sure that in your life and in your service to God, you get out of your mind the idea that you're ever gonna do enough. Get out of your mind the idea that you're ever gonna be enough. I once met a young lady and she asked me legitimately this question. She said, Brother John, how much of the Bible do I have to have memorized so that I can be a Christian and go to heaven? And I said, memorizing the Bible is a good thing maybe one of the best things you could ever do. But your salvation does not depend on how much of the Bible you've memorized. It's not about doing enough. And you and I need to get out of our minds the idea that we're ever gonna be enough or do enough or make enough or do enough good so that God's gonna look at us and say, all right, okay, you've done enough now. That is not the gospel. That is not how salvation works. Salvation is given to you by Jesus when you come to him in humble, submissive obedience, and it is something that you must accept as a gift. That is all it will ever be, is a gift. You are never gonna earn it. You are never gonna pay God back. You are never going to come to God and say, well, thanks for clearing my slate. I, I took it from there and I did good all by myself for the rest of my life. That is not what salvation is. Salvation has to do with me continually coming to God and doing these three things. It's me coming to God and saying, I'm dying to sin, God, and I'm trying my best to die to sin. It's still in my life, and I don't want it to be there, and I don't ever want it to be a part of my life again. I want to be your slave. I want to be your servant. God, show me in your word how I can bear fruit for you. That is what salvation is. And I tell you what, when you, when you grasp that, it sure does take a load off your heart because you don't have to spend your life worrying about what you've done and how, whether you've done enough. That's not what salvation is all about. It's not about doing enough. It's not about earning enough and making enough. It's not about producing enough fruit even. Jesus said that when people receive the word of God, you know what he said in the parable of the sower and the soils? He said that the good soil, it bears fruit some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Different Christians are gonna bear different amounts of fruit, Jesus said. So it's not even about me looking at other people and saying, you know, I'm not bearing as much fruit as they are. 
I, I'm sure not doing as much as, as brother or sister so-and-so over there, and, and I feel guilty because of that. That is not the gospel. Stop thinking that way. We need to listen to God's word and let God's word be the authority for whether we're saved or whether we're lost. And I'm telling you, it's not about comparing yourself to somebody else. And it's not about looking at God and saying, God, have I done enough for you? That is not how we are saved. Please listen to what I'm saying because I keep having this conversation with people over and over and over and it breaks my heart. It does. People need to listen to what the Bible says about how we're saved. And we need to let God be the one that tells us, my son's blood is enough for you. The cross is enough for you. You are saved and righteous in my sight because of what Jesus did, not because of what you've done. That is the gospel. Die to sin, be God's slave, bear fruit for God, and be content to live in the light of the gospel and stop trying to do enough because you're never going to. Who really does enough to please God? Who really does enough to go before God and say, look at me, I did enough. Who does that? You can't, nobody can. And we live in this driven, performance-oriented place of Katy. We live in this place where we look at other people and we kind of size each other up based on academic standards and based on wealth and based on all these things. And we, we, we size up and we ask ourselves, am I enough? Have I done enough? How do I compare to that guy over there? It's where we live. That is not the gospel. The gospel is good news and the good news is you are saved when you put your trust in Jesus to save you, when you repent of your sin and you're baptized for the remission of your sin and you live as a slave of God from that point on trying to die to sin every day because sin's gonna be there. Even though you wanna die to sin, it's still gonna be there in your life. That's when you're saved. And that's how you remain in a saved condition. Listen to the Bible and let it tell you what the gospel is and stop listening to the world and stop listening to what you hear from other people you're never gonna do enough. With all that said, maybe you need to respond to the invitation this morning and put on Christ in baptism, or maybe you need to respond and ask for prayers. If we can help you, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.